2: Hello, and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. I'm Callum Jones. This week, with two of Britain's biggest banks updating investors, I'm joined by Catherine Griffiths, our banking editor, and James Dean, our US business editor in New York. First, with Wall Street earnings season in full swing, let's hear from the boss of JP Morgan.
0: This administration can make breakthroughs in taxes and infrastructure regulatory reform, and we have become one of the most bureaucratic, confusing, litigious societies on the planet. It's almost an embarrassment being an American citizen traveling around the world and listening to the stupid shit we have to deal with in this country. And, you know, at one point, we all have to get our act together or we won't do what we're supposed to do for the average Americans. And, unfortunately, people write about this thing like it's for corporations. It's not for corporations competitive taxes are important for business and business growth which is important for jobs and wage growth you know honestly we should be ringing that alarm bell every single one of you every time we talk to a client
2: jamie diamond there with quite a broadside against the washington establishment james where did this come from
0: um i think it kind of it, it sums up it sums up his frustration with it's not just necessarily the current administration but it's also Washington more broadly. I mean he's he's he seems to be very frustrated at a lack of movement right now on a load of key Trump policies. So that would be that would be tax cuts mainly also infrastructure spending. Let's be honest, things that would benefit his bank although he couches it in terms of benefiting Americans more generally. But he he's always been a little bit anti-Washington to be totally honest. He he was he was kind of the same with President Obama as well. Um, he just sees politicians as being, and the Washington, the Washington has been a bit clunky, not very good at getting important things through. But um, I think his frustration just shared with other bank chiefs, although they haven't expressed them quite as forcefully as him. Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. I think it, it just kind of sums up his general frustration. And especially at the moment with kind of Donald Trump's health care legislation being held up in Congress and, you know, increasingly looking like it's going to fail completely these important things that um, that he talks about in you know, the tax cuts and infrastructure are less likely to go through it's bad for the bank and or as he says it's bad for americans more generally
2: this was a man though who if i remember correctly back in november was was linked to the treasury secretary job when president trump first won the election w- were those reports well off the mark
0: um well i think they would have tapped up quite a few different people i mean leaders of the U.S. Treasury have been bankers in the past. And uh, Jamie Dimon is the boss of the largest bank in the U.S. So there are certainly quite a few names going around. I mean, um, as I'm sure we know already, uh, Gary Cohn, who was second in command at Goldman Sachs, is currently President Trump's chief economic advisor. Uh, he was tapped for the Treasury role as well. There are a lot of names flying around, even, even Lloyd Blankfield himself, the boss of Goldman Sachs. So, mm. yeah, I mean, they were wide of the mark in the end, to be honest. It was Nobody knew what on earth was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, he may well have been six at one point, but um, I guess it just didn't happen in the end.
2: Of course, and uh, so all the Wall Street giants have been reporting over the past few days. What have been the standout moments for you? Um, I think the most interesting
0: so far has been Morgan Stanley's performance. So, Morgan Stanley is the, the the sixth largest of you know the big six. Uh, U.S. banks behind is behind Goldman Sachs, put in a really good performance, actually, uh, which made it an outlier with the rest of the banks. I mean, the, the performance generally was good, just not quite as good as people were hoping. There was a, a big hit to um, fixed income trading, be it uh, government bonds, uh, currencies, um, commodities kind of across the board, and they fell across the board. But at, um, at Morgan Stanley, they the fall was a lot less considerable especially compared to Goldman Sachs, where, you know, fixed income trading fell off a cliff, it dropped by 40%. And in fact, Morgan Stanley's traders put in a better performance than Goldman Sachs. And, you know, Goldman Sachs's fixed income trading desk is uh, is a lot bigger than Morgan Stanley's. So um, the bank performed exceptionally well. I think um, kind of looking at it in, you know, taking a look at it now that it's all happened, uh, I think the Morgan Stanley performance Kind of, the the strength of their performance, I think, is linked to the work that um, James Gorman, their chief executive, has done to to refocus the bank on other things. So it could be asset management, wealth management. It's posting, they posted good increase in revenues in these kind of departments. Uh, they're growing. They're growing more strongly than at the other banks, and also then you've got this strong performance or stronger performance than its peers in fixed income trading. And investors were quite happy. Yes, as they said the shares up by by quite a bit earlier this week after they reported. Um, generally across the banks, uh, yeah, as I say, it was it was another it was another decent quarter. Um, obviously, bank shares are riding high still. Uh, after the presidential election, although not quite at the highs they hit earlier this year, uh, basically the, the third and fourth quarters this year are going to going to be the most telling because there 's kind of uh, there's signs now that the u s economy might be slowing down a bit, especially when it comes to uh, industrial production or kind of just general business outlook surveys. these are all dropping off at the moment so when you add in the fact that we haven't seen the tax cuts that the banks want to, we haven't seen the infrastructure plans uh, for, for this trillion dollar spending plan from President Trump, then we may well see a bit of a tailing off towards the end of the year. But, but I mean, they're all in a good position, the banks.
2: Catherine, how closely followed of these uh, this week's releases been in, in London over the past few days?
3: They've been very closely followed, as they always are, because the US banks are so big and they reflect so greatly the the state of the economy, as indeed our own banks do. But one big difference is the interest rates in both countries. Of course, in the US, we've seen three rate rises since December, which, broadly speaking, is good news for banks. But actually, in many ways the US banks haven't perhaps capitalised on that as much as they might have done. Whereas here, we haven't had a rate rise for a long time and people are hoping for one, but there are certainly lots of people who don't think we will get a rate rise till perhaps even 2019 or so. So what's tricky to know over here is how much sort of in the share price of, say, Lloyd's or Barclays or whoever, there's a sort of optimism about rate rises and and, and how much that isn't the case. Um, I think when we do see re- results starting here in Britain this week, mm. um, we'll see some very sound profits being made, as as is normal, to be perfectly honest, from the just straightforward, plain, simple lending into the UK economy. But like with the US banks, we'll see a slowdown in some areas of investment banking. Another big difference between the UK and the US banks will, of course, be simply that, say, Barclays, which has a fairly sizable investment bank, earns a lot of its money in dollars. And so there's a benefit to it by reporting in sterling that will make it look pretty good. And then another strand of banking reporting here in Britain will be what happens to the banks which have a have a wider footprint, so HSBC and Standard Chartered, which report in dollars and are in are largely exposed to emerging markets, and there's a sort of a built-in expectation with both of their but those banks that they're they're doing well and they're going to do better, so. The risk there is that, in fact, they won't necessarily look as, they won't fulfil that promise when they report results.
2: Lloyd's, of course, now fully back in, in private under private ownership. What are we expecting it to say next week when it reports?
3: I think we're expecting it to say that the economy has... Softened a little bit, um, and where it's probably expecting it to say that because of Brexit and all the kind of uncertainty that that brings, there has been a bit of a slowing in investment decisions by businesses. People will seize on those statements and panic a little bit, but the results of of what is Britain's biggest retail bank, which has a kind of a quarter to a third share of the market, will will be quite good. It's, people have described it in the past as a bit of a cash machine, and and that. And since it's kind of worked through most of its problems, that is really what it is.
2: And there was plenty of speculation not so long ago about the future of its boss at the company. Now it would appear that he's staying put, though.
3: Yes. who The, the big question, um, which someone with a very big ego was probably likes a lot as to whether they are going to stay at their company or not. Um, Antonio Horta Osorio is seen to have done a very, very good job at Lloyd's in the last five, six years, and... Um, I think that if another opportunity came along for him, he likes big jobs, he likes taking on restructuring projects. I should imagine that he would be quite interested in taking on another big, meaty job. Um, the role that he is linked with a lot is the chief executive role at HSBC. Um but who knows, if if nothing suitable comes up for him, then he's, he's certainly sort of laid the groundwork to stay at Lloyd's and do another three-year plan, and his investors would certainly be very happy about that.
2: And we've certainly been reading and hearing uh, a lot about Barclays, perhaps for the wrong reasons from their perspective over over recent weeks, but in terms of the overall state of the business, pretty good.
3: Yes, I think Barclays will probably have quite a good set of figures, partly because when the US... Banks underperform in investment banking. Barclays sort of outperforms in comparison um, for a variety of reasons. It's partly due to its kind of mix of businesses, and as I say, a big benefit for it is is the fact that it does a lot of its business in dollars and will report in sterling next week. Um, But in other areas, it's just it's got a fairly straightforward. Business, its retail banking business is pretty good. It has been a bit accident prone in the last few months. Um, And actually, when you talk to sort of senior city figures, they do still ask whether there's a fundamental culture problem there, which actually I've been surprised to hear because certainly since Jess Staley, the chief executive who came over from JP Morgan, started, there's been a lot of goodwill towards him. So interesting to hear that Barclays hasn't really, in people's minds, hasn't really sort of put all those issues to bed from the
2: past. That's about all we've got time for this week. Plenty coming up over the next few days, so do keep up to date with the latest via our digital and print editions. And make sure to subscribe to this podcast to get a new episode each week. My thanks to Catherine in the studio and to James in New York, and to you for listening. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable.